0: Welcome back to another episode of Tailgate Till May. I'm your host, Steven Gorgie, and I'm joined for another episode after a long, long, long weekend by Brian Kaufman. You can probably hear it in my voice. It was a long weekend, but a fun weekend. Today, we are diving into week two of the college football season and all the aftermath. But first, a reminder, you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. Apple, Spotify, Google, you name it. And if you like the show, we'd love if you leave us a five-star review. So let's get into week two. Brian, how are you?
1: I'm doing well, man. It was fun. It was fun to be back at a, a sports bar for a college football Saturday. Week two never has sort of the the most exciting slate on paper, but it rarely lets us down. And this week was no exception. So it was real fun to be out and about with the crowds and, and watching games. So I'm, I'm feeling good about it. I was complaining
0: a little bit in week zero about how I felt like we limped into the college football season, but I felt like yesterday was a moment I hadn't experienced in a very long time, and part of that is we've had a couple football seasons since the COVID pandemic started where I wasn't really going out to watch games out and about, but there was several moments yesterday where we were in not necessarily what you think of as like the mecca of college football, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I think we saw more Eagles jerseys yesterday than college any college football team but there was a certain point in that texas alabama game where we had been a few of the folks sitting at the bar intently watching the game but a crowd started to build Mm -hmm. and then before you knew it there was 30 people crowding around for that last alabama drive and ultimately their win and then another moment like that happened later at another bar which actually didn't have the best TV setup where I saw people taking out their phones to check out Marshall Notre Dame. And that's the moments that I miss so much. And I think are so cool about college football, but I felt like we haven't had that in so long. Twitter can feel like that to some extent, but I don't think there's any substitute for when you see it actually happen in person.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to say it. It, And it's just so much fun. We were sitting there having some beers, having some chicken wings. It, It felt like how a college football Saturday should feel. And uh, it it was a good one. There were some upsets, weren't there?
0: There sure were. So I will. I'll play a little dealer's choice here, Brian. There's a few things we can start with. <laughs> Do you want to start with the big upsets of the day? Texas A&M losing to App State and Notre Dame losing to Marshall, or what was supposed to be the game of the day that I just dismissed outright and said I wasn't interested in, but turned out to be an instant classic? Which one are you going with?
1: Let's let's talk about the upsets. Let's talk about the the the, the fun the fun belt the
0: fun belt, the conference of champions, the fun belt coming up with two huge wins on this day. And Brian, you know, I'm a pretty simple man. I I like sports, I like chicken wings. I'm not complicated. One of the things I also really like, don't like any other reality TV, but I like The Jersey Shore. The first <laughs> season of The Jersey Shore, I would put on the Mount Rushmore of reality TV. So when these games were happening, all I could think of was telling Notre Dame what situation told Sammy Sweetheart in season one when she refused to take the dishes over to the plate after he cooked a meal. You're excluded. You're (laughs) excluded from chicken cutlet night. You're excluded from ravioli night. And that's exactly what Texas A&M and Notre Dame are. Excluded from the college football playoff. They're excluded. They're excluded. They're excluded. And with good reason. Notre Dame 0-2 now. Texas A&M drops to 1-1. and Both losing to Sunbelt teams on their home field. Simply unexcusable. As much as I love the Sunbelt, that is a national championship relevance ruiner for the season for
1: both. 100%. And a tip of the cap to you. Because I feel like when we were talking about... Uh, specifically with Texas A&M, right? And and I don't think either of us were ready to be like, that's a, an SEC contender a national title contender. Like, it feels like the media in air quotes has been trying to do for a minute now, but you specifically pointed out like, Hey, I don't know that they've figured out this quarterback problem and they might have one of the best defenses in the country, but like they can't, until you figure that out and and establish something on offense, you're not gonna be able to do anything. Well, hello, Haynes King 13 of 20 for 97 yards passing. He is an athletic guy. He had a 30 yard run in, in a pivotal moment and he, isn't totally helpless out there but let me just repeat myself 13 of 20 for 97 yards app had 22 first downs to Texas A&M's 9 app had the ball for over 41 minutes time of possession Texas A&M had it for 18 they didn't just win this game they bullied them they went into college station and they knocked them around and I thought it was really interesting because on the last, uh, I believe it was Cameron Peoples, the long run to seal it, um, Texas AM had a shot at him in the flat and they missed him, just a missed tackle. And it was sort of indicative of the whole thing. Texas AM supposed to be this big, bad defensive team and couldn't make the tackle when they needed to. And man, I just. Not impressed, and and yeah, you're excluded from any sort of conversation with 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 a chat like that. And I know we're gonna we're gonna get ahead to uh, week three, but honestly, a little bit surprised that they're laying as many points as they are against Miami next week. Uh, I believe I saw it as a six point favorite, and I, maybe it's more of an indictment on Miami than anything. But um, anyway, yeah, uh, kudos to App. You know, they left it all in the field in week one against UNC. Um, scored 60 plus and you could have seen a world where they came out a bit flat Uh, and they certainly weren't world beaters on offense or anything like that but they, they did what they had to do to get it done
0: well, and I got to give you credit too, Brian, because last week on the show, you immediately said, I like App State in the points, and on the preview show, I kind of went the other direction. I said, I can't find it at minus nine and a half in the first half, but I just like App State to come out a little bit flat, Texas AM to just put them away early because they did have that showdown with Miami the following week, and that's not what happened at all. There there was nothing flat about that performance by the Mountaineers, they they dominated them on the lines, in the trenches, 181 yards on the ground. Cameron People's 112 yards. Just, that's not supposed to happen. And I know we were a little hard. I've been hard on Chase Price throughout. I, I said I wanted to take some shots. I, I will say I one of my bets preseason was Marshall to win the Sun Belt, which I, I like even more now. But I said I wanted to take some shots against App. And he did not have the greatest game today or yesterday but he did the things that mattered. He was only he was, you know, 15 of 30, 134 yards, but didn't turn the ball over. Uh, made the plays that he needed to play, needed to make, and it would be really easy for him to get down after missing that two-point conversion last week, but it, it's a team game, and, and I think he did just enough. I, I want to ask you, now that App State has won this game, are they the favorite for the group of five New Year's Six
1: Bowl? It's interesting we were talking about it over text that like a lot of the teams at least we picked in a wins pool to to compete for their conference championships have have taken losses in some form or another i mean they they're as good a bet as any right in my opinion like to to come out and play like that and pull out a win in a in a really really hostile environment um i I think there's a couple of teams you you still have to to put in there, like I still think. Um, you know, um, an American team could make a push for it. If Houston still does what we expect them to do in the AAC, um, you know, that was a tough loss for them too over the weekend, but yeah, they're right there. They're right there. I mean, they certainly have played their way into it and you wouldn't have done that. Um, you know, after the North Carolina game, it was like, oh, okay, they'll, they'll be competitive. They can hang with teams. Um, this does kind of put them in a, in a little bit of a different light. And so, um, obviously, that win's going to look extremely good on any on, on the resume throughout the season. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I would say, yes, as good as any at this point, two games in.
0: I'll be really interested to see what the updated Sun Belt future odds are. Haven't been able to find any yet today, but I'm curious how that shakes out because Georgia State is a team that has now taken two losses in back-to-back week to Power Five teams in South Carolina and North Carolina. But I think they're still a really good Sun Belt team. I think their their defense is really good, and they have just as good a shot as anybody to take down some of these powers. That Sun Belt East is just ridiculous right now, so I'm curious to see. How inflated apps' odds are from that AM win. It's a great win, but you know, college football, you got to bring it week in and week out. And winning this game doesn't preclude them from dropping one or two in the Sun Belt, because there's really good teams in the Sun Belt, including Marshall, who went on the road to South Bend and took down the Irish a week after everybody, including ourselves included, especially me, said, you have to pay attention to Notre Dame now. I, I put my stake in the ground, mm-hmm. as our friend Ben loves mm-hmm. when I say. I put my stake in the ground, and I said, Notre Dame is now a team I think we need to pay attention to now. And after yesterday, we don't. Simple as that. They are not a team that we need to care about, pay attention to, unless they start ripping off of four games in a row or something along those lines. I mean, college football teams aren't static, but what I saw over those first two weeks, that is an offense that just does not have the firepower to compete on the national stage right now.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, like, is that is it as simple as just like, they're not impressive when they have the ball on the offensive side? I'd be interested to hear on like what the, you know, two bullet point takeaway is on why they weren't able to get it done this weekend?
0: I think, I mean, it's, it's really easy to just go back to quarterback, 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 but I think sometimes that is the answer. And Tyler Buckner just has not produced at the level of even what Jack Cohn did for them last year. That was, was able to make them successful. And I think a lot of people, I talked about it a bit Friday and I even talked about it with Kyle Kelly when we did our Notre Dame preview a few weeks back is that Brian Kelly was really good at getting these games done. He, he would win these games, even if we were close. And Kyle made the point that even, you know, Jack Cohn won games for this team. They found ways to win games. And I just don't think Tyler Buckner is giving them enough right now. I was really impressed with Marshall's defense. That pick they had towards the end of the game that kind of sealed it. I felt like they just looked like such a physical, I don't want to, be hyperbolic, but that looked like an SEC defense with how physical their defensive backs were, where they out-athletic, whoever made that pick was just more athletic than the Notre Dame receiver, and he was more physical, and he made a big play. I think the other thing, too, is they need a receiver to emerge outside of outside of Meyer. I mean, they they don't have threats that they need to compete at the level that they want to compete at. You got to have more than just one guy who can get it done. So for me, I think that's, that's the biggest thing. I think you'll continue to see their defense be passable and good, but
1: at some point you got to score. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. That was, that was, uh, uh, quite a weekend for the conference though. I will say, I mean, totally changed the picture for those two teams, Texas A&M and Notre Dame, um, unexpected. And like I said, it's like week two, never, Looks good on paper, but we have to stop acting surprised when it gives us results like this because it's like it's going to happen. It sneaks up on people. People look ahead. And uh, this is two instances I would say that that fits the bill for sure. So in the Sun Belt this
0: year, Marshall has beaten Notre Dame. App State has beaten Texas A&M, Old Dominion has be- beaten Virginia Tech, and Georgia Georgia Southern has beaten Nebraska, which directly led to Scott Frost firing, which we'll get to certainly at some point here a little bit later. But that, I mean, that is a bellwether year already, two weeks in for the Sun Belt. And I think I asked the question in one of our preview shows, I think our G5 preview show, is the Sun Belt now the best G5 conference? And I, I mean, I think it's making a very strong case.
1: Yeah. You must have listened when I was hesitant to say yes, uh, because they are playing their way into an obvious yes there. All right, well, let's move on, Brian, to another
0: game that wasn't quite an upset, but a near upset. It's it's funny. Alabama was favored by more against Texas on the road than A&M was against App State at home. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. And it ended up being a really close game, though. It was, it was a game where Texas, to their credit, stuck around the whole game. They left a lot of points on the board. I thought that that whole safety targeting situation, I think, is something that Texas fans can be pretty upset about. They did at least kind of get the call right where they took the targeting off the board. Apparently, you're not even able to review roughing the passer, but they kind of did anyway and took that off the board which I'm totally fine with because that was the right call but I just can't believe that and didn't end up being a safety I think the ball actually did hit somebody in the helmet which is why it didn't end up being intentional grounding but I mean if you're Texas you've got to feel like you had you had Bryce Young down like that's two points that would have won you the game there was a few times they missed a field goal they settled for some threes instead of sevens but all in all a really good fight by Texas, especially without their starting quarterback, Quinn Ewers, for most of the game. How do you feel about Texas as the proud owner of Texas in a college football wins pool that we're in? How are you feeling about the Longhorns moving forward?
1: I got to be honest with you. And I I think I said this to you in person, and I definitely said it it last week when I was like, okay, I'm trying really hard not to overreact to certain things. Um, I don't, necessarily feel a ton different about texas like i don't now see them as uh, a big 12 favorite any more than yes as the proud owner in the wins pool they have a lot of talent i could daydream about them being competitive that's a, still about where i am i mentioned last week that i was really nervous for them to play utsa that's upcoming this weekend still nervous about it so, and particularly with yours out, I think they said four to six weeks for him. So um, hopefully he gets back soon because he was playing well. He he was fun to watch. Um, it doesn't change a ton for me. And and I think like if you listen to a lot of other people, they might say yes, but I think you're just a little bit of a prisoner of the moment in that instance where they were at home, big game, do it for coach who just was the offensive coordinator over there, whatever it is. They got up for it, probably should have won, didn't, and that's that, right? I, I, I honestly, Stephen, I think if Bama misses that field goal and Texas won. I might, st- I might be a little more uh, positive, but it's, it's the same thing to me because you're, you're playing with Hudson Card. I think I turned to you a few times and I was like, we've seen the Hudson Card show. Like I've, I've seen it. The, the reason for excitement this year for Texas was Quinn Ewers. I said it in the preview show. It was like it, this guy was a 1.0 a recruit. There's not that many people who have been rated as highly as a recruit ever as Quinn Ewers. And so there's something you, you could buy into that. I can't buy into Hudson card going unbeaten in the next four to six weeks. I think it's, you know, hoping to hold on. um, And that's sort of where I'm at. I think, I think Texas can win eight or nine games and that would be a successful season. I, I I don't suddenly think, oh, they hung with Bama. They're, they're a 10 win team. It's, it's not like that for me.
0: Brian, I'm terrified of their next two games. Yeah. UTSA at home and at Texas Tech. Yep. That's terrifying. And mm-hmm. I think that will really be what we need to watch and see, is this different for Texas? Because we've seen Texas compete and even beat against high-tier, high-level competition. If you go back to 2018, after dropping the opener to Maryland, they beat USC and they beat Oklahoma. Then they dropped two to Oklahoma State and West Virginia. So it's it's like we've seen this story before. I want to see Texas go out and go 7-1. and one in conference show me that you can do this week after week after week because anybody can do it one week that's kind of the beauty of college football and that's what texas has done they've done it one week plenty of time but do you have the drive the discipline the focus whatever it it may be that's been holding them back to go out and say we're gonna treat this game against tcu the same way we're treating a game against Alabama. We're gonna treat this game against Texas Tech the same way we treat Red River. And if they can do that, then I will be very impressed and I will change my tune. But I am still very much in wait and see mode. So I think reason to be cautiously optimistic, but they gotta prove it. I think as simple as that.
1: I agree with you. I agree with you. I they do deserve some kudos. I mean, on defense, like that Alabama offense. I, I think we both sort of expected them to have their way to a certain extent. There was a point in this game, I believe it was the last three drives of the first half, the first three drives of the second half were punts. They punted six straight possessions. Um, Alabama did. So, I, I like, that part is actually more impressive. Like, if you had told me that Texas kept it close and lost uh, a tight one, I would have thought it was a little more shootout feel to it um, than, like uh, – Kind of sloppy twenty to nineteen, like we saw, and so I think like if you're looking for reason to buy in, if you're if you're a Texas fan or a casual observer looking for some value, like I think you can you can find it there in their defensive performance. But I think you make a perfect point. Can they do this regularly? And there's no sleep for the weary, right? No rest for the weary. UTSA coming up this weekend, like you said, Texas Tech, uh, and a, and a week later after what should be a win against West Virginia. Uh, Red River so it's it's not gonna be easy and and I sort of have the same the same expectations for the for the Longhorns going forward
0: now Brian on the flip side. I'm a little scared about Alabama's receivers because we kind of saw that rear their head, rear its head, their lack of receiver depth in the national championship game last year. And I felt like it kind of showed again on Saturday when your running back, Jameer Gibbs, is leading the team in receiving with nine receptions for 74 yards. I don't think that's what you want. Uh, They're so used to having a first round, potentially Heisman candidate at receiver that I feel like they're starting to feel the impact of that a little bit. And I was just struck. Now, granted, we were at a bar. We didn't have the sounds on. Maybe a few beverages were consumed. But the feeling I got every time I watched their offense was like, they're throwing it within a couple yards of the line of scrimmage. And I think that has to be partly on the receivers not able to get separation not able to make the plays they need and they're so used to having talented receivers that I think that offense doesn't quite look the same now now having said that I am not ready to throw throw this team uh, throw the baby out with the bathwater or anything like that I mean I think it's still a national championship contending team but like yeah, I mean, I, I think there's some reason to be concerned. I think everybody has reasons to be concerned to some extent. And this has made me think that maybe Alabama is a tad more normal than we thought to start the year. Maybe Ohio State's a tad more normal than we thought to start the year. I think sometimes in the offseason, we convince ourselves so much, like, these teams are infallible. These teams are infallible. They're so good. They have so many five stars. They can't lose. But sometimes when you get on the field got to make plays. And they had a little trouble making plays. But at the same time, it does remind me a little bit of a game last year they had early in the season against Florida, where quite frankly, I thought they should have lost that game in the swamp. And we know how things went the rest of the year. Florida figured it out, or I'm sorry, Alabama figured it out because football teams are not static entities. And it's the coaching staffs who can make adjustments figure it out as the season goes on that ultimately produce the best teams. And there is nobody in college football better than Nick Saban at that. So I think for me, I want to
1: monitor this situation, but I wouldn't say I'm overly concerned at the moment. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And and you mentioned Gibbs leaded them in receiving, but I think, and I'm, working on the assumption you meant receiving yards, which is true, but I think looking at receptions too is such an interesting way to look at this because he caught the ball nine times, and I think that speaks to what you're saying, right? No other receiver – they spread the love a bit, but no other receiver had more than four. And so it's like uh, – that's not – it's nice to have a running back who's a threat in the pass game. That's not – I think I can – Openly say Alabama's intent with how their offense is supposed to go. And so I, I, I think that, that's, that's a really good point. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at the names on the receiving list and you don't have the you don't have the Devontae Smith. You don't have the guys who are lighting it up like they like they usually do. Um, so we'll we'll see. We'll monitor.
0: We sure will. Uh, So let's stick in the SEC for one final game. And that was those Kentucky Wildcats going to the swamp a week after Florida was the bell of the ball as they took down Utah. Uh, A lot of people really high on Anthony Richardson after week one. And he kind of showed in that game that, you know, he's still a very young quarterback who can have tremendous highs, but can also have some lows. So Kentucky gets it done in the swamp. Mark Stoops becomes Kentucky's all-time winningest coach, passing Bear Bryant, which is super impressive. Uh, I just, what an unbelievable job by him in that program, where I said it on Friday when I did the preview show, but it's they now have the benefit of the doubt, and Florida is the program that needs to prove it, which is just unbelievable. Uh, I, I was super impressed with that team. Their offensive line was much maligned coming into the week, showed some cracks early in the game, but it really stepped up when things mattered most. And I thought that was just a physical, impressive win by the Kentucky Wildcats.
1: Yeah. I mean, they came out and they put it to them. I mean, it. it, it takes a lot to uh, really, really shut down a guy coming off a performance like like Anthony Richardson was, right? And he had three rushing touchdowns. He had made so many, so many plays with his legs in their last game in the win. Six carries for four yards. Like they just didn't let him get going. And I think that directly translates to his extremely lackluster passing numbers. 14 of 35, 143, zero touchdowns, two picks. Um, man, just it's just like a workman's like program, a workman's like win. It just feels like Kentucky football, like they just kind of shut up and get the job done. And 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 it feels like that was another example of that. I still like, um, you know, one thing when we talked about in our SEC preview is is Kentucky the second best team in the East, and and I think the answer is yes. But I did express hesitation with Will Levis, and that's still there. It's not like he went out and and blew the doors off of a really good defense or anything like that. 200 yards touchdown pick, you know, nothing with his legs. Um, So are, you could still raise concerns, but I don't think there's a need to, to poke a hole in anything for Kentucky right now. That was a a solid win. Um, You know, second straight one for them. They've got a couple of real winnable games before going to Ole Miss. And this is a, this is a really good team. They're, they're up uh, into the top 10, I believe in the newest, the newest poll that came out. Um just really impressive, really impressive performance with the momentum that Florida had coming off the Utah win uh, to go in there and just sh- shut them down like that, really.
0: Yeah, agreed. Can't, can't say much else about that one. Uh, so let's move on to our winners and losers of the week. Brian, I'll start with you. Where where do you want to go? You want to go a winner or a loser to kick us off? Yeah, let's
1: do winners. We'll keep it positive. And and also, you know, it's a good segue because I I didn't realize we were going to go right from that game into this. But I had Mark Stoops as my week two winner. So uh, obviously, like you said, you mentioned all the stats. And the only other note that I wrote down was take that, John Calipari. Uh, That's a great win for the program. I mean, after the the disagreement, if you will, that they had nothing to do but just go out and win games. And like I said, even in just the – the last handful of years, I feel like the uh, kind of the aura around Kentucky football has totally changed. Where it's like it used to, it did used to be a little bit of like that's that's just a basketball school. And I, honestly, I think everything Galipari said was was real. It just was like uh, five years too late to say it, right? Like, and so now. They're not like that anymore, and it's it's a great job by Stoops what he's done. Passing Bear Bryant, just getting that program really, really respectable, and and so he's my week two winner. All right, I'm gonna go with
0: a coach as well, Brian, and really this is a winner of the week, but I'd also say this is the Bill Raftery honorary onions guy <laughs> of the week because this man Jonathan Jonathan Smith at Oregon State had onions. On Saturday night, he went for it at the very end of the game. Could have kicked a field goal, but instead he said, Guys, we're going to go for the win here. We trust in this offense. And guess what? They got it done. Oregon State, another program just like Kentucky that was an afterthought, except they didn't have basketball either. They really didn't have anything going for them. And I think they've shown it. It's, it's, A little sad in a way that two wins over Mountain West schools is creating such excitement for me. However, I will say, I think those are two good Mountain West programs. I bet on Fresno State. We did hit the over in this game. Just going to throw that one out there. Love that all week. Could have had Fresno State with the win easily as well. A really good game, though. And Jonathan Smith going for it is what you love to see out of college football. So he is my big winner of the week, and they deserve to celebrate in
1: Corvallis hundred percent. I love that. All right. Losers, uh, third straight coach, but I'm like, somebody's got to do this. Uh, Scott Frost. Although <laughs> given the buyout numbers I'm about to drop, you could have probably uh, said he's a winner. So, um, they're going to pay him $15 million to leave. Scott Frost fired. Nebraska's one and two. Uh, they lost to Georgia Southern on Saturday. He's out. Um, and, uh, it super didn't work out. So he's gone. His buyout's 15 million. October first, it would have been seven and a half million. So they're they're doubling their payout to get rid of him sooner. Um, that's never good. So Nebraska's got another shot to make a good hire. There's some names that are dropping out there. If you read on the internet, um, that sound like they could be good hires if they're interested in in going there to try to fix things in Lincoln. But um, really, honestly, I, I with more of a straight face here. Surprised it didn't work out. Surprised it didn't. Surprised it went so wrong so quickly. Like, okay, if you never got him to a Big Ten title, sure, but never really showed signs of improvement. Like, full stop. And uh, coming from UCF, where he didn't lose, um, that was surprising. So he is uh, this week's loser. I think he'll be back at some point. You know, he'll 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 figure it out and get another job, coaching offense or something. But um, Nebraska. Back to square one.
0: Yeah, Brian. I mean, you know, it's interesting. I was looking at his tenure at UCF today, and obviously he was there when they had that undefeated season and they proclaimed themselves national champions. Uh, or was he? Was he? He was, yep. He was. Okay, okay. Sorry, I, I got I got confused there for a second. I, I, th- I thought he was. But anyway, um, he really was not there like that long. And his re- yeah, his record, two years there, six and seven, 13 and 0 and it's like looking back it seemed like such an obvious hire that oh this is the guy that has this program at UCF rolling but I think it does merit some revisitation to you know what was his role how much was it just the program that he was at and what had been built a a little bit you know before him and the size of the school and the talent in the area. And I mean, it's just, you just look for reasons why. And he just did so many things at Nebraska that left something to be desired as far as in-game coaching, not being able to pull out these big wins. And you just kind of wonder like why, why it went wrong. And I think it deserves some closer, some closer revisitation of his tenure at UCF and really really what we were seeing at UCF when he had that unbelievable year. And if it was maybe less about him and more about the school itself. Now I will say I do feel bad for him to some extent. Like I can't imagine if I was, if I was a football coach and I had the opportunity To go to Maryland and coach Maryland. And that was the job that I wanted my entire life. And everybody thought that I was a slam dunk hire and it didn't work out. And it just, it just failed. Like, I feel like he has to feel miserable and I do feel for him in that regard. And I feel for Nebraska fans in that regard, but it was a move that had to be done. But I personally would not have done it until that buyout, uh, went down a little bit in three weeks.
1: Yeah, yeah, from a from a business move, uh, financially, you could have you could have waited, right? If it's not going to work, take a, another L or two and and move on. But uh, I think that's a fair. I think that's a fair point.
0: So I got one thing I want to add on about this whole thing. Yeah, with Nebraska making this move and deciding they had to get rid of him so badly, they're willing to just eat an extra seven point five mil. I don't ever want to hear a college sports program in the power five, but especially in the big 10 and the sec complain about not having enough money to do something. Like the, the amount of money being thrown around right now is astronomical. I I don't need, I don't need to hear anything from any of these schools about how they don't have the funds that, that to do what they want to do. Nebraska just ate 7.5 million to get rid of a guy three weeks before it could have dropped in half. If you're doing that, like, what's going to change in those three weeks? What what do you think is going to happen at the end of this season? I I don't know what you're trying to salvage at this point. And I just, man, all these schools, like, I feel like these numbers are so big, but you still hear sometimes like, oh, they can't do this. They need donors to invest in that. They need the donor money for football stands. And most importantly, Brian, I'm going to get on my high horse right now. They don't have the money to pay the athletes because they can pay the athletes what they deserve if they're able to pay Scott Frost $7.5 million for three weeks of not working. Uh, So that was my biggest takeaway from the whole situation.
1: I think it's totally fair. The money the money is there. That, like no more there's no there's no conversation to be had about it. So I think you're onto it there. Any I, this might be getting ahead of myself because this is uh, hours old news. Any candidates jump off the paper at you early on that I mean nobody's going to make as much sense as he did, right? So you might be digging a little bit, but anybody who's kind of performing one tier down that might make the jump.
0: The name I've heard a lot just on Twitter is Lance Leopold at Kansas. He has a lot of success in the past building programs. And I think that could make sense. I think somebody in that mold might make sense. I don't I don't think they – Nebraska has such a strong tra- tradition that I know they always think, like, we should get a Nebraska guy. We should go keep it in the family. But I think at this point, you hire the best coach that you can possibly get who you think has a solid plan for building and doing things in a slightly innovative way that can make you competitive. I when I you know kind of look around the country and it's again it's crazy cuz Scott Frost seemed like that guy. He yeah. was doing things that were innovative seemingly at UCF. And again, like, I do think George O'Leary built a great foundation there, but he did get them over the hump. Like I have to give him credit for that. He did something that that school never did. So it's tough. I don't have anybody that's obvious, but I do like the kind of idea of a proven winner from a lower level, whether it's G five, whether it's FCS, uh, something along those lines, you know, could make sense. Uh, I, I, I just don't know, man. Like, it has to be somebody who is going to innovate. That's that's the key.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I think I think that's a great call, and I think it's interesting, like to think about how big of the name can be, right? Like, it's like there there is some level of like the prestige question to it, where it's like they'll probably as programs like that often do like take a bigger swing than we think makes sense like 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 Luke Fickle or like Matt Campbell like people are talking about these guys as like the next great hires like would they be interested i don't know like like to me i think my initial reaction would be like that's an interesting job for one of them to take because they could they're probably interested in and could get jobs that Seemingly are more set up for success, short and long term. But if you're Nebraska and you are paying fifteen million dollars to start this process three weeks early, or paying eight million dollars to start it early, like to me that does say they're like, let's let's go get our freaking guy, let's go figure it out. So I'd be interested to see if if you know they can convince someone like that um, to to take a call. All right, you're you're week two loser.
0: Yeah, week two is it for me. I'm going to go back to the SEC again, and uh, I'm going with Spencer Rattler. They dropped uh, their game on the road to Arkansas, 44-30. Spencer Rattler has not looked super impressive in either of these first two games against Georgia State or Arkansas. He was brought in there to elevate them, and I just haven't seen him elevate that team yet the way that they were supposed to, and this is why I was very cautious about them because... They still they overachieved last year, but they still had a lot of question marks, particularly with that offensive line. And so I don't think it's all on him, but it's just that offense as a whole leaves a lot to be desired. And until proven further, I cannot trust that South Carolina offense on the road against SEC caliber defenses. Uh, I'm looking to bet against them wherever I can.
1: I dig it. All right, let's Maryland minute. Maryland's 2-0. and oh, We're going to do one minute on it. What would you think? It was nice to see Leah kind of sling the ball around a little bit, wasn't it?
0: Leah Tungvala looked incredible in that first half. I love it. We've seen Maryland do this a lot before, kind of beating up on inferior opponents earlier in the season, but it's always, always nice to see, especially on the road. I don't care if Charlotte <clears throat> uh, was without was playing their third-string quarterback. I don't care if they had lost to William & Mary the week before. When you can go out and dominate a foe, I'm going to be happy with it. And we got a big one next week, Brian, that we're both going to be at.
1: We're going to be there sitting in Section 6, SMU, primetime game at home on FS1. Tanner Mordecai's good. They got, they got a real offense. They're 2-0 coming in too. So I think cautious optimism is sort of where I'm at. It's sort of where I've been at going into this season as a whole. And this was always – going to be the first big test and got to go to the big house the week after. So let's pass this test, get a stop against, I would say, like the first really actually scary offense that they're playing, right? And Maryland's defense is always good for a couple of nightmares. So we'll see, but 2 and is 2-0, and, and it feels good.
0: Brian, number one player of the week. Just saw it pop a few minutes ago. The total in that Maryland SMU game is 70 points. Get that as soon as you can and run, run, run. SMU, 48 points in their first game, 45 in their second Maryland 31 against Buffalo, 56 against Charlotte. Maryland has given up some big plays la- last week to Charlotte that they had no business giving up. I think Maryland's offense is really good. I think their defense is not so good. And I think we're just going to see points galore. It feels like one of those old Oklahoma State, Oklahoma games to me where 70 seems high, but you're going to look back at it later and just the way these teams throw the ball, the way that what they want to do and the way their defenses also give up big plays. That's going to be my absolute player of the week over 70 in that game.
1: And you've been hot on over under so far this season. So this is the guy to listen to. I've, I've got a, a couple extra dollar bills in my pocket because you're over unders app, North Carolina almost hit before halftime, the must play of week one. Uh, so yeah, you no know, seventies. It, it does. It, it, it seems high, Anytime the over/under starts with a seven, right? But uh, no, I feel like that's a that's that's a great one. Um, a couple, I got a couple couple plays early looking ahead to week to uh, next week. Um, I'm not shying away. I was in on this from from the beginning of the season. Uh, I like Auburn as a home dog. Like they have not looked good, um, but I think it's uh, I think it's a it's a trapish game for Penn State. I think Auburn's still a tough place to win. Um, and, and I like them. I also, so the, the, so the, the total in that game's 48 and a half, which feels really low, but I actually like, I just, both those offenses leave a lot to be desired, uh, which is how you get a total like that. I'm leaning under, but it's a scary number either way. And uh, two more. I, I did. I like Miami getting the point to A&M. I and ms uh, maybe you know I've been I've been hesitant to overreact, but I think I think that one feels a bit overreact worthy uh, with a And M kind of unable to do anything on the offensive side of the ball, and I'm I'm extremely surprised to see uh, Oregon favored. Uh, I know it's at home, um, but BYU's strong, coming off a big win, um, so. Uh, I was on the wrong side of, of BYU-Baylor, um, but I, I'm liking BYU, uh, and, I, and I'm looking at the money line um, because I think Oregon bounced back with a huge win over Eastern Washington, but that's Eastern Washington. Oregon, uh, BYU is closer to Georgia than they are to Eastern Washington. I, I think that. So um, I like BYU too.
0: Brian, can I ask you a question on the Penn State-Auburn game? Yeah. Do you think that Auburn is better or worse than Purdue?
1: Oh, man. I, I think they're better than Purdue. They certainly have more talent. They certainly have more talent. You can't question that at all. Yeah. So I'm with you there, too.
0: I mean, that's what Purdue, that's the line in the Purdue game. Three and a yeah, half Penn yeah. State by three and a half, so it's going to be definitely like a kind of hold your nose and, and do it one. It didn't work out for me great with Iowa this past weekend, but I mean we've both been on this from the beginning. College football going on the road to an SEC school is hard. Neither of us believe in Sean Clifford, so I'm I'm completely with you there. The other game that's really caught my eye to start out this week is another team to or another total. And it's Fresno State, USC over 69 and a half. I just think points are going to be flying nonstop in that game. USC's offenses look great to start the year. Fresno State was scoring on on Oregon State. We hit the over on that. It was a little bit lower. It was 60 and a half in that Oregon State game last night. But I like it to be close again. And I like there to be a ton of points. So give me over another high total over 69 and a half in the Fresno State. USC game. So I would recommend grabbing both that one and the Maryland one early cuz I think they're going to fly up.
1: I like it. I like it. Week 3's got a good uh, a good slate on there. Uh Texas A&M, Miami, BYU, Oregon. There's 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 some worthwhile games to check out this week.
0: Yeah, is there anything that you're really excited for outside of that Maryland game that we're going to be going to?
1: I, well, okay, if if we can talk about the Winds pool, I I'm, I'm punting on AM, who mm-hmm. I got late. So what I want to see is Miami come in and like kind of flex on them a little bit. I I am really excited for that game because I think I cautiously hesitant that Miami might be good. Um, So, so we'll, we'll see. And also Pitt, Western Michigan, Western Michigan beat Pitt at Heinz field last year when Pitt won uh, the ACC Um, in the grand scheme of things, not certainly not a, a mega meaningful game. But we'll be interested to see if they could put two wins together against ACC school. Be big for a MAC program.
0: I got a couple for you. I'm really interested in Texas Tech going to Raleigh to face NC State. We saw NC State struggle against ECU in week one. Uh, Texas Tech has looked better, I think, than anticipated so far under Joey McGuire getting that win against Houston last week. I think this is a really big game, kind of a measuring stick game for both teams to know where each of them stand. And then another one I'm interested in is Michigan State going to Seattle to play Washington. We don't know a ton about Washington other than they destroyed Kent State in week one, but they definitely seem to be clearly better than they were last year under Jimmy Lake with Kalen DeBoer at the helm. Uh, Michael Panix has looked decent so far at quarterback, and I feel like we still don't know a ton about Michigan State either. Having played a bunch of MAC schools, so I am uh, I'm looking forward to that one. I think another game that can tell us like where do these teams stand in the grand scheme of things.
1: I love that. That's a primetime game too, the the, the Herb Street game. Yeah, so that'll be a fun one. I, I love it. It should be a good week ahead for sure.
0: Well, that's our show. Another great week of college football. We hope we have another great one next week. I will talk to you later this week before week three. Everybody, until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold.